I'm Kim Strobel, and this is She Finds Joy. I've struggled with overcoming adversities throughout my life, feeling defeated and not having the confidence to go after what I wanted. But within every adversity, it can also sow the seed for something more in our lives. For me, that is teaching others to step into the arena of bigness, all while doing hard things and reaching for more joy and happiness along the way. I'm a truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach who believes in giving you the tools to create a life you love. Welcome to the zero fluff, no BS advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you know that the wait list for my Create Massive Momentum workshop for 2022 just went live. This is a workshop that I give once a year in January that sets you up for success the entire year. If you're ready to create the best year of your life, you're going to want to get on this wait list, my friends, because this workshop goes crazy every single year. It's dedicated to helping you plan the next 12 months of your life in a way that's completely aligned with your higher self and the power of manifestation. How do I know this? Because I'm the girl that went from living paycheck to paycheck, making $8 an hour to hitting the million dollar mark and commanding $8,000 an hour. I went from toxic relationships in my life to surrounding myself with people who root for me along the way. And most importantly, when I learned the law of attraction and how my thoughts create my outer world, I shifted my internal blueprint, which is the very thing that creates your outer world. And I did all of this, folks, by learning the law of attraction, manifesting, and creating a vision board that actually works. Believe it or not, you have way more power than you ever thought to create a life that feels really good to you. Get on my wait list at kimstrobel.com slash vision dash board dash wait list. Again, that's kimstrobel.com forward slash vision dash board dash wait list. And you will be the first to know when we open the doors. All right, let's get started on today's episode. Welcome everyone to today's show. And I actually have a previous guest, Miss Andrea Owen, Mrs. Andrea Owen, I should say. I prefer Ms. (laughs) Miss Andrea Owen. And I want to tell you a little bit about her before we jump in. She is an author, global speaker, and professional certified life coach who helps high achieving women maximize unshakable confidence. I love that word, unshakable confidence and master resilience. She has taught hundreds of thousands of women's tools and strategies to be able to empower themselves to live their most kick-ass life. Through speaking, her books, coaching, and her wildly popular podcast with close to 3 million downloads. She is also the proud author of two books, which have been translated into 18 languages and available in 22 countries. Her latest book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind, and Own Your Strength, is coming August 2021. Andrea, I am so proud of this piece of work that you've created, and I feel so honored to be able to walk with you about 
where your brain was on this book and the message you're trying to put out there. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me for the second time. I'm honored to be a repeat guest. You are. I have two funny things to tell you about. Okay. I was taking my run this morning and I was going over my interview with you today and I thought, oh, I have two things to tell her. I got a screenshot of your podcast about three weeks ago from a friend of mine who said, who is this chick? She's hot as AF. <laughs> And then the other thing that you don't know is that when I was on your podcast, one of your listeners is now in my 90 day coaching program. Yay. Found me through you. I love that. I know. I Isn't it fantastic? That. I love when people can get other avenues of help. And especially when it's people, I mean, I don't have anyone on who I think is a jerk, but like, yeah. people that I know personally, I mean, that I love your work and I just think you're so fantastic. So good for you and good for them. I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's wanting to put her message out into the world and be a speaker. And she's a former or <clears throat> current school teacher. Of course, she knows I have that educational background as Perfect. well. So I love just the synchronicity all about all of it. So yes. Let's dive in to this book. I love the title, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength. I was just reviewing the PDF because your assistant sent me an early release. Of Very early release. Uh -huh. The book. Um, and so I had read it and then I was going back and reviewing it and I'm not going to lie. So here's the deal. You know, I'm writing a book, right? Yes. Cause I took your writing class mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you so I'll be still writing that book. Yes. <laughs> so, and I went away to Vermont. I don't know if you saw that, but I went to Vermont on a two and a half week sabbatical and I actually wrote uh, 28,000 words. Wow. Yeah. I did that in the falls. Yeah. I went to the mountains isolated yeah. me and my dog. It was fantastic. But I don't know if you've read a lot of Elizabeth Gilbert's um, work, but Big Magic mm -hmm. talks about yes. how if you don't grab onto an idea, that the idea will go and attach itself to someone else because it has this need to be put out into the world. Right. It has its own energy. Yes. And so I'm like reading your book and I was like, oh my goodness, I talk about this too. Oh my, and see, Andrea's got it. She's, <laughs> she's got the book. <laughs> I'm sure it's different than what it is different, but I just love that you're hitting so many of the things that are important to me as, as a woman who is trying to also encourage others to find that innermost light that is about them. So let's back this out. Tell me why this book and why now? Am I allowed to cuss on your show? Yeah, you are. Okay. Um, I wrote the book because I was fucking pissed off. Mm, I saw that. I talk about it in the intro because I felt like I had to tell people like where the come from was and where the foundation was. And I'd written two self-help books before and everything was going along just fine. And then, um, you know, things shifted here in, in many parts of the world, but, you know, you and I are in the United States and, um, 2016, 2017 with the Me Too movement, which deeply affected me, uh, 2017, all the way into, you know, what we're seeing now with the uprising. But for, for me personally, I felt like I could not write another self-help book without naming the elephant in the room. And that elephant being the culture that raised us and that continues to raise us. And that is uh, the culture that tells us that we should sort of mold ourselves into this box of conformity. Don't be too much of this. 
be more of that. And of course, men struggle with those that as well. It looks different for them. And my expertise is around women. So that's why I choose to write about it. I'm not saying that, you know, it, it one is harder than the other, but it is one of those things where I just, I was angry and couldn't ignore it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, here's what I say. I feel like we have some similar background stories now. I've never had the sexual assault that you've had. And I definitely want to know if you're open to just talking a little bit about some of those things that caused you to just finally kind of have a buildup. Uh, I love the way you described it in the, like a volcanic eruption. It's time to do something different, but, um, I have definitely had things inside of me that made me just feel small and like I was less than, and I, I was supposed to dress a certain way and speak a certain way and even have a certain, um, volume to my voice, you know, and I feel very much that I've been influenced by a culture that says, if you don't fit into this little tiny box here, then we think you're too different. And we want to put you in your place. Right. And you and I both have that in common. And for me, when I look back, as I could really understand your anger, as I read through the book, here's what I say. You want to know why Kim Strobel launched her own business? Because those fucking people motivated the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I became so tired of seeing this play out in other people's lives that I, like you was like, it, it's time to shake things up. I, I not only like for, but for my own soul that felt like it was just constantly being smashed. It was constantly being spit on for just being who I am. And so I love that for you, you decided to actually do something I'm going to assume this is a therapeutic process that you're still going through. I'm sure that your anger is not gone, but where are you right now with it all, Andrea? Well, it was helpful to get it all out. And I, I, you know, I'm still very fired up around uh, particular topics, especially the ones that I have, have personal experience with and, you know, things like rape culture and, and, and public policy and laws that surround it, which is another topic for another time. Um, but I, I do think also that the reason that I talk about in the introduction about being angry is because that's another, another way that women are told not to be, you know, and like the subtitle being what it is, I felt like I couldn't, I I didn't want to just show you the happy, positive, like you can do it side. Because I, and I'm someone who accesses my anger very easily, which I know is not the case for a lot of women. And, and also stereotypically, angry women, we are not taken as seriously. I think especially for women of color, the stereotype of the angry black woman, like they're, they're, they're definitely real stereotypes and like, quote unquote, ways to not be. And I think that for many of us, we've reached a boiling point where we've just had enough. And for some of us, it's been going on for a long time. For some of us, it was the Me Too movement that broke us open and, you know, the, the racial uprisings that are happening. And I, I am here for it. Like, yes. <laughs> I'm here yes. for it. And I'm applauding any woman who can be in touch with her anger because it, it, it's righteous and it deserves to be let out and processed. You know, I... I think that it's important to talk about this because you and I have spoken about toxic positivity and this idea that we've also been fed, which is to not have your feelings unless they're considered puffy, white cloud, yellow, sunshiny feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, 
And so even for me, I am an external processor, which means you're going to always know exactly how I'm feeling. For my husband, he grew up in a family where you don't really express your feelings at all. So, you know, the first 10 to 15 years of our marriage, he was like, you know, you just get angry and you just, you know, and he, he just, and I honestly felt like something was wrong with me. Like, do I have an anger problem? Is there something wrong with me? I'm going to counseling, you know? And it's really that he was not comfortable with seeing anyone of any gender express their feelings because right. he grew up in a family structure that did not support that. You know, he's got great parents. It's just something that they don't do a lot of. And so then Kim Strobel walks into his life and she's full of emotions. Um, you know, he used to call me aggressive. He used to say, you're just so aggressive acting. Well, you know what aggressive acting meant, Andrea? It meant like, I talk like this with some force and yeah. I have, you know, a louder voice. And so I get those stereotypical things that women are not really allowed to be. But if you're a man, we could say, rah, 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 you're a leader. Good job. You're so strong. Um, you even write about that in your book, right? When you were in a college class and you were pregnant mm -hmm. and you stood up to the professor because he um, was not explaining the material. Everybody in class was struggling with it. And, and when you actually like did not back down and said, no, you know, no, sir, we were all struggling. We need help with this. He commented to you something like, oh, you're, you're such a, tough a lady. Yeah. You're a tough <laughs> lady. Right. But he, like you even said in the book, he would have never said that to a man who most likely no addressed his concerns, you know, it would have just been like, of course, a man would speak up about that. Yeah. 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 And again, we're not, I'm not saying that this is true for every human being, but what you're really calling out is a culture that says it is okay for certain people to be like this. And it's not okay, particularly for women to be who they are, to have the full range of emotions, to ask for what they want. Mm -hmm. And I to feel like ambitious, you're just to be driven, yes. to make money, to be yeah. rich. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what ambitious and driven and money-making women are? They're bitches. Right. They're bitches who either slept their way to the top or stepped on people yes. <laughs> on their way to the top or backstabbed their way there. We have, we have so much judgment. And again, like I'm, I'm generally speaking, like, of course there's exceptions, but for the most part, we don't look highly and, and I'm, I'm women too. Like we do this too. I'm not saying like men are the ones who are doing the judging. No, I agree. Oftentimes it's the women. And, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I've learned about the term internalized misogyny and internalized sexism and, you know, the, the crippling feeling it had on me where, when I was like, oh my God, like th this is the reason that, that I have backstabbed and slut shamed and, um, gossiped about other women and judged women who were ambitious or worked outside of the home and had nannies and, and all of these things that we do that does not equate to feminism. And it's been a lot of my own unpacking. And that's what a lot of this book is about. It's about unpacking our own stuff that we have and learning new ways of beliefs, new thought patterns and new ways of behaving. Well, and I, I love too, that you've just leveled the playing field by saying, Hey, I, I too have done this. I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. You know, this is not something that we're saying only certain people. I have certainly put down women before. Um, and it's always because I am triggered by something they're doing that I wish I had, you yeah. know, and I've really worked on that a lot. Um, I want to talk about at the end of every chapter in your book, you walk readers through what you call the unlearning. Mm -hmm. and, and so how do we begin to unlearn these 
social constructs that are very embedded in how we operate in everyday life, what are those four steps and, and kind of break them down for us if you can? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because it's, it's such an integral part. And when I write self-help books, like, I don't want people just to walk away and say like, oh, that was inspiring. And I'm, you know, motivated for five minutes and then they're back to their old patterns. Like I want to give people tangible tools that they can walk away with and take action in their life and actually implement it. So there's, it's four steps. It's, it's notice, get curious, self-compassion and keep the momentum. So noticing is about um, just paying attention to when you are with a bunch of your girlfriends and you are gossiping about someone else and, and making judgments about her just noticing it. And then the curious part is where you don't, it, it doesn't necessarily have to have a negative or positive charge around it. So don't beat yourself up for, you know, committing not so great behavior that you're not proud of. You know, it's not about also putting a positive affirmation on it either. Just, I just want you to get curious. Like, why do you think you, you think that, where do you think it came from? Do you think you would have that judgment if it were a man? So just ask yourself powerful, you know, what we would call coaching questions around it. And then the third part, I wanted to put some emphasis on self-compassion, you know, being compassionate for yourself. You can't beat yourself up into enlightenment. It just doesn't work. So there's a self-compassion piece. And then the fourth part is keep the momentum. So that's really just about um, how can you carry this over into your life? Is it about having conversations with people that you're close to? Do you need to talk to your therapist about it? Do you need to inquire further? So yeah, just keep, keep on keeping on. Yeah. And those are four very simple yet practical steps. I'm going to tell you which one I think is the, the hardest one for me personally to apply in its step number three. It's that compassion. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Self-compassion. This is the hardest thing, particularly I feel like for women. And I like you work with a lot of, of women too, but what does self-compassion mean and how do we even apply that? And the way I wanted you to do this with me, Andrea, is I'm actually going to give you a scenario that I find myself in a lot of the time. And we're going to kind of walk through those four steps. Does that work? Sure. Let's try it. Okay. So, um, one of the things that happens to me is I have a couple of friends. I have no, I, they're not even in the same circle. I don't know why this happens. I get triggered by it every single time. And then I get really, um, pissed off at myself for not like standing up and having a voice. And so, Okay. I, I think this applies. Maybe this applies to a later chapter now that I'm thinking about it, but let's just go here. That's okay. We can okay. catch people up. Okay. So, <laughs> so one of the phrases that they will say, so I have some friends who have quite a bit of money and they're good people. Okay. But like, they'll say things like when we're doing something fun, they'll be like, Oh, I mean, I'm scared to even say this, to be honest, it's so bad, but Oh, I wonder what the poor people are doing today. And Andrea, why would people say that? I'm like, that is just awful. Why do you feel like you're an elitist? Why? I don't even want to be around that energy. Okay. And so it's, it's one of these cliche phrases mm -hmm. that goes, I think way back, way back to like white supremacy and eliteness and needing to feel that above and beyond. Yeah. And so I notice it, right? Like I notice, like, like, it's like, a, it cuts me. And, and then I, I'm like, why do I, I'm trying to figure out like, why do they say that? Right. And then like, how can I have some self-compassion around that too? Not, not just for me, but like for them, but then I'm really pissed off. And so I don't think this applies to your formula. I, I don't know if this is a scenario I need help with. Like when you say <laughs> people don't say what they 
they'll stand up because my awareness is I start this, the, the self-judging, right? I don't have compassion. I'm like, you're such a wimp, Kim. Why don't you say, I really don't appreciate that. I don't like that. You say that I don't, that doesn't feel good to me. Yeah. And I can't do it, Andrea. And I, I'm like, here, I teach people how to be big, bold, and brave, and I can't do it. So, well, I want to, I want to stop you because and just say, that's not an easy conversation. These, these are your friends. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that they, aside from that comment that they make, it, that, that sounds like it's become an inside joke, yes. that they're good people. Like they're not, they assholes. are, they're not, you know, okay. So I also wonder if you're making up a story that the conversation needs to look a certain way, because the example that you gave the way that you were saying it, I wouldn't advise that you say it like that. Like just because you're setting a boundary or having a hard conversation doesn't mean that it, it's not kind. Okay. So explain that to me. Well, okay. And I, and maybe when you play back the recording, you can like hear yourself, but you were saying, um, you know, that doesn't work for me. It just like, if you came at me. About, oh about yeah. Right. I, I saying, think, it, right. Yeah. That's I my would, internal dialogue, I but like, I'm defensive. not yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my internal dialogue is super pissed off, but like, I would never approach it from that perspective. Right. And so this, this is, it's, it's such an important conversation and I'm glad you asked it because I think that we need to, you know, we keep hearing how important boundaries are and like how important it is to have hard conversations, but how, how do we do that? What does it actually look like? And I work with a lot of women who are codependent and that basically means like you have poor boundaries. <laughs> Yes, but they don't know how to have these hard conversations. So it just comes down to building the skills to do that. And I can, I can give you some pointers if you think it would be helpful, but your book actually teaches us how to do some of this, right? My second book, especially. So yeah, how to stop feeling like shit. I think it's chapter seven, if I'm correct. Um, it's the people pleasing chapter where I go into Ooh, detail, like okay. here's how you do it. And I also want to preface this by saying everything I learned about really great communication comes from my best friend, Amy Smith. This is her, her wheelhouse. And it's, it's, I have a huge advantage having a best friend who does this for a living. So it's about, um, also before you have these conversations, you have to be okay with being unattached to the outcome. Cause unfortunately you have no control of how they're going to receive it and how they're going to respond. Mm -hmm. Zero. Mm -hmm. The only thing you have control over is how you're going to show up. Yeah. So if you were to come at the conversation, the next time that that happens and like whipped your head around and said, you know what, that is classist and gross. I'm so tired of hearing that. Can we choose something else? Like, do you think that they're going to be open to a conversation about it? They're not, they're going to get defensive They're They might throw something back at you because you're, sh you're essentially shaming them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. We don't learn from that place. Right. Ever. Right. Shut down. So I, if I were you, and if you were my client, I would advise you to not wait until it comes up again, because since you're so triggered by it, you might not be in the best place to have that be your come from. And you don't need to wait because inevitably it's going to come up again. Anyway, I would do it sooner rather than later. And you might start the conversation and have it be something like this. Uh, this is something that's really awkward. And I have been putting off saying something to you about it, but I felt like I really am committed to this friendship and don't want to be thinking about it and, and doing any kind of judgment over here. So I'm just going to say it out loud and just say, it might not be that big of a deal to you, but it really bothers me when you joke and say, and then you tell them. Mm -hmm. 
that Amy's good. Cause that's an excellent script that you just did. That's probably what she would say. Yeah. If you haven't had her on your show, you have to, cause she's so good. At I the- do. Yeah. What would Amy say? I love it. That, yeah. And, and just, and just put it out there and, and sometimes it's helpful. It depends on the friendship, but sometimes it's helpful to say, I know I do that. I make comments like that too. And I'm, I'm like very much making it a priority to work on this. Mm. And I'm wondering what you think. So you put, throw it back in a kind way. And you're also owning that you're not perfect. Yeah. I love that. That I think that is so important. Like you have to admit your own imperfection within that as well. Cause I'm sure there's something, to, but it's helpful. It's it helpful on the friendship, especially if it's a, if, if you, if you don't have a lot of experience having these hard conversations, it might be good idea to throw that in there. So they don't feel like they are on the attack. Yes. You know, I don't even know how we got to this. I think the universe just wanted me to go there because (laughs) I know we were talking about the four steps, but that's super helpful because, well, I know how I was, you know, going back over your book and I was thinking about having voices and being able to stand up. That's what making noise is. It is. And it's like so hard to do. And I think I really want our listeners to understand. Sometimes I think that they see somebody like me is like, she's just so courageous. She just does all of the, and it's like, okay, but I'm over here too, staying quiet at times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just reading your book has reminded me of the areas in my life that I want to work on where I'm still staying quiet. Right. You know, and that is an act of making noise. And that's why I, I, we titled the book. What we did is because like, what does it actually mean to make some noise? It's not necessarily about causing a scene and and causing a riot. Like if that's your style, great. But more specifically on a practical everyday level, it is like setting boundaries, having hard conversations. You know, my son is autistic and he, he reminds me so many times, you know, people who autistic, a lot of the times they say what's there. Like yes. there's no filter. You know, like I need you to read between the lines. Like there is no between the lines. Like they tell you what's there. And every once in a while, he and I will be having a conversation or, or he'll see a conversation on TV or something. And he'll ask me like, why didn't they just say that in the first place? Like it doesn't even comprehend to him that someone would be passive aggressive or sarcastic or trying to like say something. So they'll get the reaction that like, there's no games. And I was just thinking to myself, like, well, isn't that something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why don't we just say what's there. I know. I think it would be, and this is actually something that I think that many times men do better than women. Mm-hmm. Um, I know with my own son and his friends, like they can just, they'll just tell each other how they feel and they just pick up the pieces, you know, 10 minutes later. And it feels a lot healthier, I think, than these little my theory is that women are taught from a young age to take care of everyone else's feelings. Mm. And so that's why we can tend to not want to make other people uncomfortable by telling them that we don't like that joke that they make about yes, impoverished yes. people that, um, you know, we, we, we dance around things many times at, by tampering down our own values for the sake of the comfort of other people. Ooh, I'm writing that down because that is going to be one of the quotes I pull from this. That is so good about we tamper down our own values in order to make other people. Oh, that's so true. That's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so I want to go back though and clean up my mess that I made earlier. We're talking about self-compassion. I want to know what that really means and how that what that looks like because I think it's one of the things that you really hit in your book over and over again throughout each chapter when you're asking us to practice that. What is self-compassion? What does it look like? How do we do it? Well, it's about, I mean, the bottom line of it, I think for me in this moment is just about witnessing humanity, you know, and the human experience and Kristen Neff, um, yes. out of the university of Texas from Austin, I think. And she has extensive work and research on this. If anybody wants to dive in further, her books are great. And she narrows it down to a few different sort of practices that people do. And, and one of those things is to talk to yourself like you would someone you love and care about. And this is one of those things that's so much easier said than done. And for me and with my clients and people in my groups, it, it is a lifelong process. And one that is, you have to put as much effort into it as you would if you were learning a new language. Mm. So, you know, I have people come to me and they, they'll try one of my tools and they'll come back in an hour and say like, it didn't work. I'm still having, hearing my inner critic and my negative self-talk. I'm like, of course you are. Cause you've been talking to yourself for decades this way. I mean, neuroscience tells us that it, it, the pathways have been created and that's why it happens. So to create neuro pathways that are down the self-compassion roads, if you will, <laughs> we can run with this metaphor, then it takes time and practice, 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 exactly like you would if you were learning a new language. Yeah. And giving ourselves the grace. I think that's why you start with awareness without judgment, right? Like, let's just become aware of this particular feeling or this particular thought that we're having or feeling, and then get curious about it create some self-compassion around it, which I love that. I think that there, because we, we easily go into judgment. So create some self-compassion with it and then get some momentum going. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to tell you the first two chapters, you are just talking about taking up space and shining too bright, shining too bright, <laughs> which I freaking love. Okay. Let's talk about that. Tell me about that. Well, taking up space, I think is a topic that we've been hearing more and more about, and I wanted to write more about it. And what does that actually look like? You know, because I, I think like taking, taking up space, it's a, it's a nice sentiment. Um, so I break it down in the book as to things we do internally, you know, with our emotions and our thoughts and things like that. And then also externally with our bodies, with our voices. And then I love the chapter of shining too bright. That was actually supposed to be chapter one and the publisher wanted to switch it. So I wrote that chapter because I have so many clients that struggle with this. And I put out a podcast episode a couple of years ago and got so much feedback that people struggle with this, especially the notion of outshining others. Mm, yes. That is difficult. Yes. And so what, what do you mean by shine brighter? What can that look like? Well, I think the first step is, is noticing your fears around it. So I have a client right now uh, that I'm thinking of, and I just talked to her this morning and she, um, she has, she's the oldest of three siblings and she was a fantastic athlete. She played volleyball. She was scouted by colleges and got a master's degree and went to a, a really amazing school and has been successful in her marriage and so much success and her siblings, not as much. So she feels guilty and ashamed 
of outshining her siblings. So that's just an example of where um, we might kind of tamper down our own successes. And so that's bled out into not only her family of origin life, but her professional life. She dilutes all of her um, her successes and has imposter syndrome, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So that goes back to what I was talking about around we, we find safety in making everyone else comfortable and we make up a story. And sometimes it's true. Some people tell us that they're uncomfortable with our success. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, like, oh, who does Kim think she is? Like too big for her britches? Are you too good for us in this family? Like college lady, you know, like some families actually say that. And um, so we have kind of evidence that it could get us like shunned from the family or from the crowd. So I'm not here to say that your fears are not worthy. You know, they, they are very real. And at the same time, I think that we need to be very cognizant of um, where this is stopping us in our life and what is actually like, is this a real danger? Like, is my mm. life in danger if somebody yeah. doesn't like my success? Or is it something that I need to possibly do some deeper work with a therapist so that I can move past it? Some and of those I, wounds run deep. They do. But I also yeah. think like the, you know, the more that you are able to let your light shine, then you are a living example for other people who are wanting the courage to do so as well. And so you don't know sometimes that by holding yourself back, how many other people you are inadvertently holding back because they, they need to see more models of this. They need to see more examples of this so that they have the courage to do it a little bit more in their life. So right. I love that. I love that. And I often think, I remember journaling one time when I was at a moment in my life where, you know, the success was building and I was scared. And I wrote in my journal, like, what if all the women that I admire had been as scared as I was and they had stopped? Yes. Oh, and I wouldn't so have those role models. Exactly. But you know what? It is a real fear. It's a real fear. I mean, you and I, I, I think about this too. Like the more success I have, I will tell you the more haters who come after me, that's part of it. And so I have to make sure, and I'm doing my own internal foundational work right now, because do I have a support structure in place, a blueprint in place that supports that I can handle that? Yeah. I talk about that in the book too, about visibility um, and how and Brene Brown talks about this. I was just re-watching her Call to Courage on Netflix. Love it. I watched Love it a couple it. years ago and I'm like, I need to watch this again. And she talks about the arena, which, you know, it's her metaphor for vulnerability. And she says, like, I want to make it very clear that it's not when you put yourself out there, you're not just risking failure and criticism and judgment. It will happen. You will get your ass kicked out in the arena. It's a guarantee. Yes. And I love that she says that because I'm, I'm like, yes, you will. Don't sugarcoat it and tell people you might, but you might not like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, the date that we're recording this is one week after, you know, Rachel Hollis got her ass kicked big time last week. And there's a lot to talk about that good and bad. And we need a whole new episode for we do it. We need a whole new episode but about leadership on that. Yeah. Yes, we do. <laughs> okay. You also say that women's empowerment begins with women asking for what they want, period. Period. What does that mean? Yeah. How do we do that? Give me some examples. That chapter is titled ask for every, start asking for everything you want. And it's tricky because, um, entitlement is a thing, <laughs> especially with white women. And, 
um, but also at the same time, there are so many things we don't ask for. And, you know, the, the pay gap is a real thing. And, and when I was doing research for this book, I interviewed a woman who had done research around negotiations at work and how they did a study, I believe it was the early 2000s, um, about how there's a huge gap with people who don't negotiate the very first salary from their very first job, whether it's out of high school or out of college. And just the stats are staggering on that. I personally, my first job out of college, I didn't even know that you could negotiate. I didn't even know it was a thing. They offered me $27,000 a year. It was 1997, I think. And I was like, I'll take it. I just was so excited to have like my own desk. Yeah. And it wasn't until years later, I realized like, oh, I could have negotiated that. So it's, it's things like that. It, it, and just asking for what you want in the bedroom. There's a whole chapter on that. I, well. I love that part. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's one thing to, there's a fine line, I think between entitlement and people who are opportunists and things like that. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about asking for things that you genuinely deserve that you're not asking for because again, we're trying to make everybody comfortable and, and we don't want people to judge us because we judge the type of woman who would ask for that. Oh, so powerful. You know, this makes me think of like even the small things, right? Like having the courage to ask for what you want in your marriage. And it can be something simple. Like I know, I, you know, I'm really stressed by the fact that I handle all of the household duties and I need you need to have a conversation around how we can divide this more evenly mm-hmm. or, um, you know, it's sometimes it's these little teeny tiny things that are really hard for us to do at first, even when it comes to talking to our partners or to our spouses. But every single time you do that, it's almost like there's a little inner shift that happens inside of you that builds just a little bit more of that confidence to keep doing that, you know? And so that's how confidence is built is by taking action over time and gathering evidence, gathering evidence. Even if you don't do it well, it's just the fact that you did it and you made it out on the other side to learn from it. Yes. Now you also write about money. You have an entire chapter, which I loved. And um, boy, let me tell you, that took some courage, I'm sure, to write about money. Because, you know, like, what were we all trained? Like, never talk politics, never talk money, and don't talk about sex. Exactly. So um, why was that important to you? Yeah, I wrote about all those things except politics. Um, Yeah. I knew that if I was going to write a a women's empowerment book about all the ways that our culture pushes us down and it has trained us to be a certain way, I couldn't not talk about money. Like talk about an elephant in the room. (laughs) I agree. And and I'm not trained in finance. I just, I have a lot of experience, you know, with um, getting into my husband and I found ourselves $60,000 in debt, you know, not including a mortgage and, and paid it all off. And and I've, I've come so far in, in my own money stuff. And, and I've also read tons of books and just, I know that it's not just about money. It's also about power. And I couldn't also not write about power. Uh, so the, the, the chapter is about both of those two things. And, and it's, the chapter is not about how to consolidate debt or how to finance. I just, I ask like a hundred questions in there to the reader, like <laughs> figure all this out on your own. And here's some yep. questions to ponder. And, and like one of the favorite things that I say in that book was about my, the very first role model I had for a wealthy woman was Cruella DeVille when I was probably six years old and 101 Dalmatians was my favorite record 
you're my age. So do you remember those little records that had the accompanying book? Absolutely. Like old school audio book, right? I love, yes. And it would make that little chiming noise when it was time to turn the page. Yes. Okay. So it was probably, you know, early eighties and my favorite, I had Fox and the Hound and I had, um, yeah, 101 Dalmatians and, and I remember how scary she was, how scary Cruella DeVille was. And that was the very first model of a wealthy woman that I had growing up. And some people might say like, sorry, Siri thought I was talking to him. <laughs> um, but some people might say like, it was a really that big of a deal. It's just a Disney movie. And it, yes, it, it is. Like, these are the things that impact us, especially when it comes to ambitious women. If you look in the media, even um, Meryl Streep's character in The Devil Wears Prada, she was an ambitious woman who, you know, typically what we see is, is these ambitious, successful women whose personal lives are falling apart. Yes. They have yes. like a very messy divorce or an extremely distant partner or their children hate them or, you know, it's like, can we please have better role models? I guess the drama is what sells, but anyway, I went off tangent, but yes, I wrote about money. Yeah. And I, I love that. I don't know if you know, um, Lindsay Podkin, Podkin, but she writes, um, or she has the podcast, um, money, mind balance, I believe mind money balance. Yeah. Podvin. And, um, I interviewed her for the podcast and she did a, I can't remember which episode it was, but she did a great analysis of like, why as women, we need to educate ourselves around money. And, you know, I know myself, I'm, I'm currently, I, I study a lot about manifestation and I teach people about the law of attraction and how our beliefs are driving so much of what we're able to create, but I'm also doing my own deep work in another class. And one of the beliefs that came out this week, Andrea, around money was the belief that I should not want money. Like it is, it's, it's wrong to want money. It's, it's bad. It's non-spiritual. Like, so I'm having to bust through all of that belief, right? Because yeah. like people who have money, like people love when I get up in the crowd and I say, Hey, money doesn't buy happiness. Like that, they love hearing that because it's like, Oh, you know, but there's also nothing wrong with wanting to accumulate money so that you can do the good work that you want to do in the world and enjoy your own luxury of it. So I love that you wrote on that topic. Good job for going there with women. Yeah, you yeah. got money covered. You got sex covered. <laughs> and I also just one more thing about money is I think that we need to talk about it more. Like you said in the very beginning of us talking about this. And I have a friend who recently, I was chatting with her about something and she was telling me about this job that she got and they moved from North Carolina to Virginia. And she was saying, you know, they're paying me $300,000 a year. And the only reason I'm telling you that is because I think women need to talk about money and our salaries more. And then she just kept talking. And I was so happy because- I mean, I don't have a lived experience as a man, but I've heard, overheard their conversations and they talk about money like it's just no big deal. And that's what I want it to be for women. I want them to know like what kind of investments is your, is your partner making on behalf of you? Yes. Like, what does your retirement look like? Do you understand what is going on in your portfolio? Do you, are you on a first name basis with your financial advisor? Do you have a financial advisor? Like all of these things that many of us think are for quote unquote rich people mm. or like, or are too hard to understand, or that's a man's job. Like no, 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 no. There are more women in poverty and especially elderly women in poverty than there are men. Yeah. And I just, I can't be with that. No, I agree with you. I, I get, think it's I so mad. important. Like we have to do our due diligence and educate ourselves. Um, okay. So, oh my gosh, there's so many things that I want to ask you and I knew time would run short for <laughs> us. Um, but okay. I have to know this. You tell this story about being in Tijuana, Mexico. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
on a drug deal at night mm-hmm. and which I'm, I just have this whole visual of this happening. And then you have this spiritual experience. Tell me about that. It didn't seem spiritual at the time. No, it sounds <laughs> scary as hell. I, I don't even know how you ended up in this situation, whole, but I didn't either at the time. The whole story is so extraordinary. And there's a memoir coming in a couple of years that tells the whole story. But the long and short of it is, is I had an aha moment when um, I was dating someone who I was in deep denial with uh, that he was lying to me. And I was ignoring my intuition. I had just gotten out of a a 13 year relationship. We had been married for a couple of years and my husband had had an affair with our neighbor and gotten her pregnant when we were talking about having our first child. And so I was deeply devastated, started dating someone, which I definitely should not have been doing. And this person had terminal cancer and we would go down. I lived in San Diego. It's where I'm from. And we would go down to Tijuana, Mexico to get his cancer medication, which was fine because we would go down during the day. And then he would have periods of time where he would get really sick and he was, um, you know, and then he was terminal and it was just there. And then there was more red flags popping up. And so there was one time where he was sick and he said, we have to go down there um, to get my cancer medication. And I, and I was like, it's nighttime. You know, like you don't go down to Tijuana, Mexico at night. And, and, you know, this was in 2007 and there had been some problems with the drug cartels and like murders happening and dead bodies in the gutters the next morning. And it was just, it was, it was dangerous. And so we went down there and we end up finding these two guys in like this back alley who point us down the, the street. And then we get in, we're standing in front of this cab and he opens the door for me to get into the back seat of this cab. And like everything inside of me said, run, go home, do not get into this car. And I looked at him and I said, I don't want to go. And he put my, my face in his hands and he looked at me and he said, I would never do anything that would put you in danger. And I knew he was lying. Like he didn't Mm. really care. And I could not admit that I had a very strong feeling that he was a drug addict and Mm -hmm. that it was not cancer medication that we were going down there to get. It was actually prescription meds that mm-hmm. he couldn't get in the United States. It was just harder. So I get in the cab and we go down this, like, it wasn't a dirt road. It was like a cobblestone road. And I'm just like, oh my God, should I look at my surroundings? Should I not? And I was scared. And then we end up getting what we needed to get. And, the, and I ended up paying for it because I was bankrolling him at the time. And by some miracle, we got out of there unscathed, completely unscathed. But I was so upset with myself that I was just putting myself in danger and ignoring my intuition that was telling me so many things. This is not a good relationship. He's lying to you. Do not go down to dangerous places anymore. Do not carry illegal drugs back over the U.S. border because you will go to jail. (laughs) And, And just ignored all of it because I was so desperate for love and attention and affection. And I was, I was in a really bad place and um, the relationship ended up going downhill. And that's a story for another time, but it was, it was such a wake up call for me to listen to my intuition that was screaming at me that all was not well. 
Yeah. And I think that's such an important point to make is that we have to start listening to our intuition. You're making me think, and I don't know if I've shared this story with you or not, but there's so many times in my life that I played small over and over again so that everybody else around me would quit giving me heat. And I mean, I tell this story about, you know, I I was told as a school teacher to not wear skirts anymore, because even though I was wearing skirts that were two inches below the knee, when when the rule was knee length, I already knew that the women in my building were struggling with my legs because they were constantly complaining to the principal about, oh, who does she think she is wearing that cute little, who wears a skirt to teach in, look at her legs. And so long story short, I like, the principal was younger at the time and she called me in and she said, I really hate to do this, Kim, you're not doing anything wrong, but I'm gonna ask you to just wear pants from now on. I can't handle the women in the building who are constantly talking about your legs. And so there's, this is a whole podcast episode in itself, but the long story short is I started wearing pants, Andrea, mm-hmm. right? And so then there was like another situation and then there was a third situation And I, like you, um, had this situation happen where I made myself really, really small to soothe the person in the room who was uh, attacking me in a very scandalous, untrue way. And, and so anyways, long story short, it's a, it's a big story, but I literally walked out of the room and like you, I was so pissed off. And I told myself that is the last damn time, Kim Strobel, you were, you will ever play small. That is the, like, it was like a shocking revelation. It's almost like God was showing me, like, look at what you've done again. I mean, this woman has been verbally brutalizing you for six months and you call her out on it. And in the session, she starts crying. So you start you start soothing her and you make yourself even smaller, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, literally she said, this is what she said to me. She said, well, I know what I've been doing is really wrong, but she's like, you just walk through the halls. Like you have so much confidence and you, you just seem like so happy all the time. And it's it's just really hard for all of us to see. And I said to her, she made it your problem. Yeah. She made it my problem. And I, I belittled myself. And I said, Sarah, I was in an automobile accident. I have a mouthful of braces. My nose is broken. Like I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see. I don't always have the confidence. And you know what? It's just like Brene Brown said, she did not deserve to hear that side of my story because her next statement, Andrea, was, you know what, Kim, I just really think at the next faculty meeting, if you would stand up in front of everyone and tell us that you too have confidence problems, that you too don't always feel good about yourself, I just really think it would make the rest of us feel better. And Andrea, that was like my smack. That was like the moment, like when you were getting in the vehicle and everything was screaming, like, get away. You know, I was like, popped me in the head, like, seriously, like, this is what it's come to Kim, because you once again have played small that she's literally delegating you to stand up in front of the faculty now and tell them about all your issues so that they can feel better about themselves. take care of everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here's what you need to know. That would have never happened to a man. I just want to say like, yeah. I know. I like, I have so, I'm telling you that there were certain things that have happened to me in my journey of life so that I could be prepared to teach people how to step into the arena of bigness, because so many times I've suffered my own like inability to honor my soul and how I want to show up. And I really feel like that is the basis of your book is just like, how do we get in touch with the divine power that is inside of each and every one of us? And I feel like your book is a permission slip. We keep bringing Brene Brown terms into this, but we can't help ourselves. Well, I'm trained by her. So my, her work definitely infuses yeah, in there. But like you, it's like a permission slip that you've given us that says, okay, girl, now, 
go out and step into your power and shake some things up. And yeah. I, I just love it. Make it. Some and, noise. and make mm-hmm. some noise. Yeah. yeah. So I have so many more questions. I, <laughs> I, I can't get to them all, but here's how I want to end. I love the poem that you wrote at the very beginning. Would you honor us by reading that for us? Yes. Here we go. I love it. All right. All right. right. Ready? So this is Burn It Down by Andrea Owen. Okay. And are you going to follow along and and pull it down when it's time? Okay. (laughs) I got you, girl. She had fire in her belly and she used it to summon her truth. She had fire in her soul and she used it to remember where she came from. She had fire in her heart and she used it to trust the women who came before her. She had fire in her spirit and she used it to show other women their own flames. She had fire in her eyes and she used it to burn it all down. She had fire in her every being and she used it to blaze a new path, a new way, a new life. Can we just take that in? Gosh, very powerful. Thank you. I am an amateur poet. Um, I think like, just one of the key takeaways that I want to say before we close is that one of the biggest things I want women to know when they read this is that when they read so many self-help books, I mean, mine included, that these, these habits and behaviors that they, that they see that are holding them back and making them play small and all these things, like it's not our fault. Like we were trained and conditioned to be a certain way and we were rewarded for it. You know, I talk about that in the book, the reward versus punishment. When we step out of line, I'm using quotes over here or uh, try to be a different way, many times we're punished. And so that's like one of the, the things I want people to, to realize is like compassion is key here because we're just doing what we were taught. You know, we're drinking the same Kool-Aid because it was the only beverage that was offered. <laughs> yes, yes. Unless you had very progressive parents or feminist therapist mom and were raised differently, but the majority of us were raised to fit into this particular box. And yeah, so there's yeah. nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with any right. of us. You're not broken. We're not broken. The we're culture just, is. The culture is. And we're- Which, you're bringing- which hurts men as well, by the way. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another podcast episode. Another podcast. Yeah. All right. So we're going to drop her book in the show notes. Again, it's called Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind, and Own Your Strength. Comes out August 2021. Andrea, where else can people find you and connect with you? I think this the two pages I want to send them to um, are andreaowen.com slash noise and andreaowen.com slash msn that's where they can find the book stuff and free bonuses so oh excellent um, it's early when we're recording this but we plan on putting something free if people aren't ready to buy the book and they're like i want to read like a chapter just to see if it's something that that i want to invest in we have that for you it's at one of those two links excellent we'll drop those in as well thank you again for your time for your effort for putting this into the world it is such a gift you are such a gift thank Thank you you so much all right Thanks everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on the She Finds Joy show today. I'm so honored that you chose to listen to this episode. As always, this conversation will be continued in my free private Facebook group called She Finds Joy. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other people just like you. 
Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we drop a new episode every other Wednesday. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to kimstrobel.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcast where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down just a little bit, you can leave a five-star review and write a few sentences letting me know what you thought. It's so very important to get people to leave a review for my podcast. The reviews help me get higher on the iTunes list, and that will show up when people are searching for a new podcast, and it will really help us get new subscribers. So if I could ask one little favor for you just to go to kimstrobel.com forward slash review, give us a review and give us a comment and let us know what's been helpful. Thank you so much for listening in. I am really honored to be a part of this community with you.